Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Yeah, it's so good to see you. Got a house full this morning. If you're watching online, thank you for joining in with us. We wish you were here. Um, I understand some of you cannot be here, and that's great. For those of you who uh, are just using that for convenience, we don't mind it, but we'd love for you to come and hang out with us. And uh, this morning would have been a perfect morning to do that because it is uh, alive in here today. It was fun. Uh, a couple of things before we get started. Uh, one, um, I want to say to our students um, here on, especially those of you on the front row, and I know we got students spread out everywhere, but um, I, I'm just saying, like, I, during worship this morning, I got a chance to kind of sit down there near our students, and um, these guys are remarkable. Like, I got to thinking, I want to, I want to love Jesus as much as some of our students love Jesus, and uh, I just want you to know, I see you. Thank you, and um, I want a spot about right there next Sunday in this same gathering. Uh, to be right in the middle with you guys and worship with you. I, I just want you guys to know I notice and I appreciate it. And uh, what you guys do in leading our church in worship is remarkable. Uh, so thank you. And if you have students and they're not here on Wednesday nights and plugged in, um, I don't know what you're doing. Because I'm just telling you, if you've got kids or grandkids, I'd do everything I could to get them here and involved in what's going on here. It is uh, remarkable. So uh, do that. Uh, secondly, I know it's New Year. It's like second week of the year, New Year. Some of you are still thinking about New Year stuff. It's kind of a good year. It's kind of a good time to look at the year, make some adjustments in your life. Um, you know, one thing I did, and I will never ask you to do something as your pastor that I'm not willing to do myself. Uh, so last night, I logged on to the uh, discoverlifepoint.com backslash give, logged on to our giving stuff, and updated my recurring giving. If you're like me and uh, you need things to be simple, like I, I need, uh, for discipline in my life, I need it to almost be automatic. A third thing, like I, you may not know this about me as your pastor, but I am naturally left to myself. I am a very greedy person, all right? I'm just, you're like, wow. If you're a guest with us this morning, you're like, well, I was trying to figure out what church I was going to. I guess I'm not going to that one, right? Uh, I'm, I'm naturally greedy. I, I find, like, left to myself, I want to hoard stuff, keep stuff, hang on to stuff, um, but greed will rot you from the inside out. It really does. Um, and the only thing I found that is an antidote to greed is generosity. You, you can't just say, I'm going to be less greedy. You have to say, I'm going to be more generous. Like, it just doesn't work any other way. And so, for me, what I did is I logged on, went to the online giving, and updated that to what I thought God was leading me to do to be generous. And, uh, and that way, it's like, I, it's not a best intention. I'm making a decision that's going to do that, and I'm going to have to, uh, like, I'm going to have to intentionally go in there and change that if I decide I don't want to do it, right? And so, if you're interested in that, it's discoverlifepoint.com backslash give. It's really simple. I did it because I asked you to do it, and I think it was three steps. It's really simple. It's choose a number, choose a, uh, a like a fund for it to go to. Hit enter, the next page, you put in your information, and then it sends you a text to verify that it's really you. That's three easy steps. It was not bad. So uh, consider doing that. Uh, it's also a way that you can be here when you're not here. We all are going to be gone at some point, sickness, vacation, just life. But it's the way that you can be a part of who we are, even when you're not here to be a part of what we're doing, all right? So um, thank you for considering doing that. This morning, we are kicking off a brand new series um, called The Beginning. If you're a guest with us uh, here at LifePoint, we, we have conversations in series, typically not in sermons. 
uh, where we take a subject matter, we look at it for a lot of weeks in a row. Um, you know, if, if, if we come up with a three-point sermon, we just make it a three-point message. We just make it a three-part message around here. And so we like to talk about things very in-depthly over a long period of time. Uh, it's just kind of the way that we are made and the way that we kind of do things. And um, I'm excited about this series because uh, often for us to really understand who we are and where we are at, it's important to realize where we came from and how things started. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, you may not know this. If you are familiar, you may, be, you, you may already know this, but the Bible is made up of 66 different books is what we call them, which is weird. It's like a book of books, uh, but that's what we call them is different books. And the very first book in the Bible is a book called Genesis, and you may have heard of that before. And you may be unaware of what the word Genesis means, but it actually means beginning. And so it's the book of the beginning. And it's more interesting in context that it's just a beginning, and it's just like the story of the beginning. It's actually a, a, another way of thinking about it is it's the foundation. Uh, the book of Genesis actually holds some insight, some principles, some truths, and some information that have direct correspondence and correlation to what we're experiencing today. And what I mean by that is, is it's, it's a foundational book of our faith, but it's also a foundational book of our experience. Because what we find in the book of Genesis is we not only find the beginning, uh, the beginning story, the beginning narrative, and the beginning of human history, but we also find the beginning of uh, humanity. We find the beginning of purpose. We find the beginning of sinfulness, brokenness. Uh, we see the beginning of resentment. We see the beginning of pride. And so many of the things that we deal with as, as, as the human race, as a person made in the image of God, one of, the things, one of the things that we find in this book of Genesis is not just a narrative or a story of kind of how things started, but we find the foundational aspects of what led to where we're at today. And so sometimes to understand where we are and where we're going, it's important to look back at where we came from and how it began. And throughout this series, that's exactly what we're going to do. We are not going verse by verse through Genesis. So for those of you who have like already looked on your Bible app and you're like, oh my, there's like 40 chapters. We're going to be here for nine and a half years. We're actually not doing uh, verse by verse. We're actually just looking at some themes in the book of Genesis that are foundational to our faith and our experience and kind of hitting the highlights of Genesis. Now, here's what I would love. Here's what I would love. And you can do this if you'd like. Um, is we will be in this series, I think it's about eight weeks, I think somewhere like that, seven, eight, nine weeks. That is long enough for you to fairly in-depthly read through the book of Genesis on your own. So maybe over the next seven, eight, nine weeks, however long we're in this, you just take a chunk of Genesis, maybe a chapter, you can take a chapter or two a day, I mean a week, and, uh, or a day, I guess, a chapter or two a day, and you could read through it and get a better idea by the time we finish this series, you'll be finished with the book of Genesis. I think it would be a great thing for you to do at home. But this morning, we're kicking off this series, but we're also, it's kind of a kickoff series message and a message in and of itself. But it's interesting what we're looking at this morning because I think that it's very powerful to consider the context of what we're talking about this morning and its application to your life. That at the beginning may not seem that important. You say, what do you mean, Matt? Well, I want to talk to you about what I think is one of the most powerful tools in the universe. All right, one of the most powerful resources. One of the most impactful things that you have access to. And this is what it is. It's the power of the pen. P 
P-E-N. Now, I realize that we haven't always in human history written with pen, right? I mean, I, I was a student as a child. I was a student of a very reliable history uh, television show. Uh, I don't know if many of you watch TV and gain your education through TV, but me, um, you know, I, 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 I was a very devout follower of a particular TV show about history and kind of where, how humanity started and what it was like back before you know, things became like they are. I mean, I grew up watching the Flintstones. And uh, so I'm aware, I mean, watching the Flintstones, I do understand a lot about kind of where we came from. And I know, like, the pen at one time was like a hammer and a chisel. And they were really good at it. Like, if you go watch Barney and, and Fred, they could, they could hammer stuff out. And so, you know, the pen hadn't always been a pen. You know, it's been chiseled in stone. I mean, we've got, uh, you know, eventually it became a quill and, and ink. And, you know, we've had graphite for a pencil. I mean, there's been multiple ways we write that we've written. Now it's a now it's a computer. Then it became a computer and a word processor. And now it's like your phone, right? And, uh, and it's interesting. Now, actually, now it's AI. You don't even have to write it yourself. Just like, hey, I need a essay on such and such. It's due tomorrow. Go, right? And, and you can get it. That's true. You can. I wouldn't recommend it. You probably fail, but you can try it um, if they can figure it out. Um, but, you know, the way that we have written, the way that we have told the story, even though it's changed throughout time, has been very powerful. It's, it's often been said that history has been written by the victors. That it's the people who win who write the stories. And, and while I still think there's a little bit of truth to that, the actual truth is this. History has been written by those who write history. Can I say that again? You're like, that's dumb. History has been written by those who write history. What do you mean by that, man? Well, it's the people who take the time to write down what happened that become the narratives of what we think happened. Uh, in, in fact, much of the narratives of the Civil War, for instance, are written by those who lost the Civil War. It's been written by the memoirs of the generals and the soldiers who were part of the Civil War by the losers, by the ones who did not win much of what we know and believe that may very well be inaccurate was actually written not by the victors, but was written by the ones who were willing to write it. And, and the pen becomes very powerful because to archive the story, to archive the narrative, to archive history has the capability to be the way that that history is understood for generations to come, depending on whose hands it falls into. The reason I think the pen is very powerful is not just because of how it affects history, but because of its motives, because of its intentions. You see, here's what I think. I think as I look at my life for the last 45 years, as I consider many of your lives that I have watched over the last 17 years, one of the things that becomes apparent to me is that most of us in the room, I would even be willing to say every one of us in the room, have at some point or another, and probably even right now, we have taken the power of the pen, we have picked it up, we put it in our hands, and we have focused on writing the story of us. We, we get up in the mornings, and we consider our aspirations, we consider our goals, we consider our calendars, we consider the meetings that we may have, the expectations that we have. Uh, we consider our itinerary and our agenda. And we begin to figure out and try to reconcile and rationalize in our heads how we make the most of this thing called our lives. 
and we, we do everything we can to write our story. I mean, we, we try to figure out how to get an edge up in life. We figure out how to move our way up the ladder of success. We figure out who do we want to be friends with and who offers the most to our story. And even maybe subconsciously and without realizing it, and I'm not even saying that it's all entirely bad, the primary focus of the story we're writing is us. We are, we are each the main character in our story. And you're the main character in your story. I'm the main character of my story. And, and as I began to, to, to do this thing called life, I'm taking the power of the pen and I'm doing everything in my possibility to be not just the main character of my story, but to be the hero of my story. And to dictate what happens in my story. And all of that seems to be good and fine until the story has a plot twist. You see, everything is fine when you're writing your own story and you're the main character of your own story until something happens that you weren't expecting, that you weren't wanting, that was possibly unfair, unfortunate, discouraging, or disappointing. And then suddenly we come face to face with the reality that as much as we want to write our own story, this is not necessarily the story that we wanted to write. And not one of us in the room wants to have the story where we get a phone call of a diagnosis where something's wrong and the outlook isn't good. And even in those times and those situations, we even still find ourselves taking the pen and trying to figure out how can we write our way around the unfortunate? How can we imagine a situation that this can be resolved? And we try to even work toward that. Not one of us enjoys it when in the story we realize as much as we've tried, there's still more month than money. And now the months have piled up, but the money didn't pile up. In fact, it seemed to pile down. And at some point, you're faced with this reality where Perhaps it's when a spouse comes to you and these are the words, hey, we're, we're, we're kind of in a mess here. I bet if I was to ask for a show of hands and I wouldn't dare, I bet there's a bunch of people in the room that goes, I remember that moment exactly or those moments frequently where it's like we are in a mess now. And you're trying, you're writing the story the best you can. And in your mind, there's a, there's a light at the end of the financial tunnel, but it just seems like you never get to that light. It seems like the more... The harder you try to get to the light, the further the light gets away. It's almost like the light is a constant mirage on the, uh, at, the end of the, at the end of the road that's like, I just can't get there. Or maybe relationally, you're going through life and you, had, you were writing your story all the way back to when you were a little girl or a little boy about what life as an adult was going to look like. And when it came to marriage, you expected the prince charming or the princess and you thought that's what that you got but then relationship happens and there's a conversation again and the conversation is not what you would have written and yet you still try to figure out how do I write myself around the plot twist how do I fix it how do I work it out how do I make it happen and depending on how top a you are like me you're figuring out, you know, as you're writing your story, there's some of us in the room that we're just writing the story as we go, right? There's some of you out there, you are seat of the pants story writers. It's like just whatever's coming at me, I'm going I'm to pin it down, write it. 
Then there's people like me on the other end of the spectrum. You just you can't even hardly experience the right now because you're thinking so far down the road. And you're always imagining and trying to. And, and here's what's funny. Those of us who are the seat of the pants riders, you're like, you look at the other one and go, hey, it's so much less stressful if you just take it as it goes. And those of us who are the out of the five-year and 10-year down the road, we're like, it's so much less stressful if you'll just plan a little bit. At the end of the day, we all realize it's all stressful because as hard as we try to write the story, it seems like for some reason the story's being written for us. And all the chaos and all the frustration and all the disappointment and even all the success and all the joy, and all the fun, it just seems like there's something not quite right. And I think that as we open up Scripture to the first book of the Bible, to the first verse of the first book of the Bible, I think tucked away in the first four words, I think that we find the reason for the stress and the seeming disconnect and discontinuity that comes along with trying to be the main character in the story about us. And I think what we find is that it was never intended to be that way. Because when God finally decides to reveal himself to humanity, when he finally decides to introduce humanity to the world and introduce humanity to himself, he begins the narrative. He begins the story in a very unique way. You see, when, when I was young, especially, and I knew I was going to hear a great story, those stories always seem to begin the same way. You remember it as well, right? Once upon a time. And when I would hear once upon a time, I knew there's going to be a hero or a heroine, and there's going to be a villain, and there's going to be a problem, and there's going to be tension. And just when you think everything couldn't work out, there was going to be a solution, and we were going to hear the best words of the story, maybe, happily ever after. And for many of us in the room, we've been trying to find the once upon a time and the happily ever after. But see, the real story, not the story about me and not the story about you, but the real story actually begins similar to once upon a time, but it actually starts this way. It starts with, in the beginning. And I would say that the four most important words may be found in Scripture are these, in the beginning, God. Now, some of you grew up in church. Some of you have been going to church for a little while. Some of you have been going a long time. Some of you have read your Bible. Some of you haven't. Some of you have read it a lot. Some of you read it a little. A good percentage of you in the room are probably like, now, Matt, that is not the whole verse. And you're right. It's not the whole verse. In fact, the rest of the verse says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But I would say to you that before we can understand where we're at, before we can understand resentment and bitterness and brokenness, before we can ex even experience joy and excitement and happiness, before we can understand frustration, before we can understand anticipation, I think that we need to understand how the story began. And we're told in Genesis chapter 1 that in the beginning, God. 
Now, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? Well, in these four little words, in this very quick introduction to the history of God's revelation to humanity, what we find is, is that God transcends every story that we could ever imagine. That not any story in the room, not your story, not my story, not the story of the person sitting beside you, none of those stories have a, have a beginning that was before the beginning. None of those stories started before this started, before God started. In fact, what this reminds us is that in the beginning, there was already God. That in the beginning, before the heavens and the earth were created, in the beginning, before humanity was formed by the dust of the ground and God's breath was breathed into it, in the beginning, before there was a garden, in the beginning, before there was a serpent, in the beginning, before there was failure, and in the beginning, before there was success, in the beginning, before there was popularity or not, in the beginning, when there was, before there was bullying or you were the bully, in the beginning, before there was financial frustration or relational difficulty. Before there was marital bliss and kids that do everything that we want them to do. Or marital frustration and kids that do nothing we want them to do. Before there was any of that, God. The verse speaks of the eternality of God. The fact that, that God has existed forever and will exist forever. And this is a part of the message that we all begin to grapple with. And one by one throughout the room, as we begin to try to grasp the concept, we just watch the top of our heads just blow off as we try to figure out what is eternity and what does it look like. And Todd and I were talking before the first gathering this morning and came to this realization. It is, seems to be easier to grasp and believe that something will continue forever than to understand that it's also been here forever. We can, we can sort of in our heads imagine, and perhaps it's because we're conceited and perhaps it's because we do write our own story and we want to control how the story ends that we don't like to think about ever having an end. And so we can sort of wrap our heads around the fact that, that we could live forever and that God could live forever. But to try to really understand that God has been here forever is so difficult to comprehend. But when we read these first four words, in the book of Genesis, in the beginning God, I want you to notice it doesn't say this. It doesn't say at the beginning God. It doesn't mean in the beginning of time God started it. Now, what it's meaning is, is the beginning that it's talking about is the beginning of God's revelation of himself to humanity. It's talking about the moment where God makes the decision, it is now the time that I'm going to begin this creative process where I'm going to bring the world and the galaxies and, and the plants and the animals and humanity into existence and begin to reveal myself to humanity. That's the beginning. Because, you see, God doesn't have a beginning. It's not, it's not God appears and now the beginning happens. No. No, what we learn from this is that, is that God predates the beginning. And if you can understand that and comprehend that, I would love afterwards for you to email me and maybe you can have the conversation with everybody after that. Because the more I think about it, the more I try to understand it, the larger the gap gets between my ability as a finite human 
to understand the infinite nature of a holy God. And yet the very first thing that God wants us to know that he puts at the very beginning of his book that would reveal himself to us is at the beginning, in the beginning, God. And I think that what this reminds us is this, is that this is not a story starring me and you. This is not a story where you are the main character or I'm the main character. And when we are living life as though we have taken the pen and we're writing the story about us and we're the main character, what we have to understand is the reason that doesn't work is because that's not the story at all. The once upon a time of God revealing himself to humanity is not a story about humanity. It's a story about God. Where God is the main character, where God is the focus, where God is the center, And we are invited into the story as supporting characters. And the reason life becomes so frustrating when we're trying to write our own story is because it was never your story to write. It has always been his story. Because in the beginning, God. Now, it's interesting. I wanted to show you a couple of more authors in Scripture who, who tried their best to explain this idea of God that he predates creation and that he is, he is eternal in nature. And I want to show you a couple of them. There, there's a lot, by the way. There's probably 10 or 12 great passages of Scripture. And maybe in your life group or digging deeper with Todd this week, maybe you can take a look at some other ones. I don't, I don't know. Maybe you could. That'd be a great life group opportunity for you that are in life groups this week. Just say, hey, let's talk about all the eternal, all the passages of Scripture that talk about God's eternality. And you can research that. But I want to show you just a couple of them that I think are very interesting to me. The first one is the psalmist. The psalmist in Psalm 90 writes it this way. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And look at the timeline here. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world. So prior to Genesis 1 and 2 in the creation of the world. He says prior to all of that, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And I love the way the Holy Spirit inspired the psalmist to say this because there are no wasted words. It's not just eternally you are God. That is true. But when we think of that, we think of eternally you are God, we just think of this God that goes on forever, that we can place our trust in and know he's going to always be there. And that is 100% true. But there's more to God than just that he goes on forever. No, he's not just eternal. He's not just from everlasting. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Whatever it means to be eternal and go on forever, that's how long he went on into the past as well. In other words, there has never been a moment, not one moment, one, one nanosecond of time, that God hasn't filled that space of time. He, nothing started him, nothing created him, nothing made him, nothing began him. He is the he he has filled the spans of time from eternity to eternity. From eternity, from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. He is God. Uh, Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. And then he says, here, and here's what that means. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. Isn't that incredible to think that? 
whatever the ends of the earth are, which seems so far away to us, especially would seem so far away in Isaiah's day, the ends of the earth. He is the creator of that. Can you imagine the energy that it must take? I mean, I don't know about you and what you may have built lately or done lately or made lately. Got any builders and makers in the room? Probably something like, oh, man, I craft a little. Okay, that's good enough. You ever noticed how exhausting it is to do something remarkable? Think about it in your life. Isn't it so easy to do something that's terrible? Like, like we're great at making a mess of things. Anybody else agree? Like, you can just not even try and just wreck your life. It's easy. You can not even try and wreck a project. But it is exhausting to do something well. I mean, unless you're God. Because he's the creator of the ends of the earth, and he does it without fainting or growing weary. Is it not amazing to think about this? Just, just, just focus your attention just for a minute on this. Imagine this. There is a God. He is from everlasting to everlasting. And not once, not once in eternity past and not once into eternity future, has God or will God ever do this? Going to be a rough one today. Whoo! Seeing them folks at Life Point, what they got going on today? Going to be rough navigating that. Volcano's going to explode today. I got to clean that mess up. Going to be rough. Never. You know why? Because there is nothing that exhausts or fatigues the God who is from everlasting to everlasting. What you're going through may seem stressful and tiring and exhausting, and God doesn't even grow faint or weary. There's never been a day when he's like, going to be a full calendar today. Boy, have you seen what's on my to-do list? How will I ever? God's never had that issue. He is the everlasting God. He does not faint or grow weary, and his understanding is unsearchable. There's nothing he doesn't know, nothing that contain, nothing that nothing that that constricts his abilities. He is the everlasting God. Isaiah also says in chapter 57, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up. This is coming from God, what he's going to say eventually. But, uh, but Isaiah says, thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I mean, I, I don't know where you live. Uh, maybe you live in a home. Maybe you, uh, maybe you live in a whatever. I mean, I don't know, an apartment, condo, camper, tent. I don't know, but I bet from the nicest arrangement to the least nice arrangement in the room, no one in the room says this, hey, where I live, it takes the expanse of eternity for me to dwell. How big do you have to be for inhabit, for, for eternity to be your home? God says, I, I, there, there, and here's what else that tells us, that there's never been a moment in the expanse of time that God didn't feel it. He has always been and will always be the main character in the main story. He inhabits eternity. And then maybe my favorite was, was John, the beloved disciple who spent three years with Jesus, who does his best to try to explain this idea of God, and he says it this way. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the, the word, word here means Jesus. And he says, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, and he was in the beginning with God. 
John tries to define like, what, what, who is Jesus and who is God and what are they like? And he goes, the best I can tell you is, is that God has always been there. And Jesus was right there with him. He goes on to say that nothing was created without him. And of all the things that were created, were created by him and through him. As John tries to explain this idea, the best he can do is just to say, he, he, he always was. What, if there was a beginning, and there's not, but if there was, that was, he was there. And he was in the beginning when God began to reveal himself to us. Jesus was right there with him. Involved in the creative process because he not only was with God, he was God. Now, what does all this mean for me and you? I mean, I think it is very important and even refreshing to realize the eternal nature of God. Like as a follower of Jesus, you need to understand who God is. And I think that's important enough. Like you could just leave here today and go, hey, man, that's great. But I think there's more to it because I think this can affect your Tuesday or your Thursday or your Saturday or your tomorrow or next week. You see, I think that the tendency is, is that for, because we are made in God's image, and we're going to discover that in a couple of weeks, but because we're made in God's image and there are things about us that are similar to God, there are, there are ways, there, there, there are some of God's ways that, that show up in our lives. And one of those things is, is that I think we have a tendency to want to be the main character in a story similar to how God's the main character in the story. We, we have this tendency to want to take over the story. Uh, we, we want to grab the pen and write our own story. And the problem is, is that we just don't write very good stories. Our stories are stories that are bred in brokenness and hurt and pride and bitterness and resentment. And because we can't control the story, the story becomes our best effort to navigate what's happening in our lives because we can't fabricate what's happening in our lives. And so when the phone call comes of the diagnosis or the bad news or when we discover that a relationship is on the verge of being broken or maybe it's already over or we discover that financially we're just really struggling we have no recourse but to experience frustration. To be able to, to, to begin to shout out how unfair life is. To get bitter and resentful and even jealous to look at the people around us and go, well, I'm better than them. Why can't I have life better than them? Because when you're writing your own story and yet you can't control what's going on, all you're left with is just trying to figure out how to navigate. But if instead, we could just think for a minute. I could just invite you to consider one idea. Maybe we'd even call it the bottom line this morning. Is that to understand that before there was, there was God. You say, man, what do you mean by that? Well, before there was a diagnosis... There was God. Before there was a clean bill of health, there was God. Before there was financial failure, there was God. And before there was financial success, there was God. Before there was wayward prodigal children, there was God. And before there were kids who do everything that you want them to do, there was God. 
Before there was brokenness, there was God. Before there was addiction, there was God. Before there was you totally messing up your life, there was God. Before you got everything right, there was God. Before sin, there was God. Before resentment, there was God. You see, God predates everything you're going to go through. And because before all that there was God, then you have every reason in the world to trust him. You see, actually the eternal nature of God means not only is he the one writing the story and not only is he the one the story is about, but it also kind of means that he's already written the story and has the ability to control where the story goes. And there's nothing that has gotten to you that hasn't met his permission first. And whatever it is that you are going through, you are going through it because he's decided that that's the story that best honors and glorifies him. And he understands and knows that all things work together for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And he is writing a better story in your life. Put down the pen. Start realizing that you actually make a terrible main character and you write a terrible story. You you, you know what we're really like? We're really like those actors who are in over their head that somebody gave the wrong part to. And you watch the movie and you're like, eh, that was terrible. I mean, like virtually every Hallmark movie is what I'm thinking about. But, you know, whatever. But sometimes there's a story that if it had been a different actor or actress, it would have made all the difference. See, you're telling a story. You're just telling the wrong story. And you're the wrong character. The best story started this way. In the beginning, God. He established himself as the main character. And here's the beauty of it. He invites you in, every one of you, have an open invitation to find yourself in his story instead of being the main character in your story. What does it mean? That before there was, there was God. Well, if this is true, and I believe it is, then that means that that God deserves your devotion. He deserves your attention. He deserves your adoration. He deserves your worship. He deserves your submission. He deserves your unfailing devotion. And one day he will get it. You see, let me tell you how the story unfolds. It unfolds this way that at the name, every knee will bow and every tongue will eventually confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, you can write your story or you can live for his story, but at the end of the story, you're going to confess that he, in the beginning, God. You can do it on this side of eternity or that. The choice is totally up to you. If you're here this morning, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, and you're like, I don't even know what that means, Matt. Well, part of the story that God wrote is the story of redemption. Before Adam and Eve had ever eaten the forbidden fruit, God had already planned the cross. Before there was a cradle, there was a cross. Before there was a need, before sin, he created a need, God had already planned the redemption. 
And on the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin and your guilt. And at that moment when he said to Telestai, it is finished, the debt has been paid, he invited you into relationship. And that invitation is accepted through faith that what he did on the cross was enough to pay the price for your sins. And you receive that gift of salvation by simply a declaration of faith, by coming to the place in your life where you say, I'm going to trust that instead of continuing to trust my own story. I'm going to let him write his story instead of continuing to write my story. It's a declaration of faith. If you're here this morning and say, I'd like to do that, it's pretty simple. Most of the time we tell people to bow their heads and close their eyes. Nowhere in the Bible. It's pretty simple, actually. You just with your heart and your mind, your soul, your whole being, just, just who you are, you just say, Lord, I believe. I believe that what you do on the cross is enough. And you receive Christ as your Savior. I'm telling you, you want to live the best story? Put down the pen and stop writing your story. In the beginning, God. Before there was, there was God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the reminder this morning that your ways are higher than our ways, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. When I try to wrap my head around who you are, my, I'm, I find myself wanting to say like the psalmist that you are from everlasting to everlasting. To declare like Isaiah that you are eternal and you don't faint and grow weary. But honestly, when I began to think about it, I find myself overwhelmed and in awe, realizing that there is none like you and who can know you. But thank you that though I couldn't get to you, I couldn't understand you completely, you came to me and you came to our rescue. Lord, because you are from everlasting to everlasting, you, desire, you deserve our undying, relentless devotion and submission. And so, God, thank you that you give us the privilege to submit our lives to you and to live our lives for you. Or as we sing one more song, I pray this morning that we would find a way to worship the God who is from everlasting to everlasting in a way that would honor you. And it's in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.